Good afternoon and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, a podcast that takes three generations of travelers around the world to different destinations. And in this episode... The reason why people are so excited about river crossings is because of how spectacular and dynamic and chaotic they are. The Great Migration is you know, essentially two million animals that are attempting to cross this river at any given point. You might see 100, you might see 200, you might see 50, you might see 100,000, and they might all try to go at the same time across the river. Today we're joined by Amy Charnetsky of Albi Travel. Amy is a travel specialist with Albi Travel that, among other responsibilities, helps plan safaris to Africa and other destinations. I'm also joined by my wife, Kimberly, but first a warm welcome to Amy. Welcome. Thanks for having me on behalf of Audley. So uh, first, why don't you say a little bit about yourself? So I'm an East Africa Senior Travel Specialist with Oddly Travel, which means that there's a dedicated region of the world that I put all of my effort and thought into. I've done numerous research trips into the regions in which I do design travel trips. We do everything completely custom design based on the client's desires, their whole portfolio, who's coming, what their preferences are, and their total kind of idea of what their ideal budget and, and level of luxury would be. We can do everything essentially as a company from door to door. So we can do international travel from the US all the way over to your destination and certainly on the return, taking care of all of logistics completely while you're on the ground. So really there's very little left out of pocket, specifically I would say in the safari realm of what we do. Certainly we do cover eight, around 85 countries worldwide now, including US domestic at this point. And so there are various countries that have elements that you do have a lot of pieces on your own, but safari is one that tends to be more inclusive. And just for the, our audience's benefit, recognize that we're recording this Hopefully, what is the tail end of, of COVID? While well, I think we've seen the worst of it, I think we see the you know, light up into the tunnel, and hopefully, we're leaving the tunnel. Please be mindful that uh, different countries are in different states right now, and please be sure to check with uh, local travel guidance and conditions to get the most current and up-to-date information. Hey, listeners! If you like our podcast and enjoying traveling with your family, then this is the right podcast for you. Please show your support by clicking subscribe in however you listen to this podcast whether it be an Apple podcast, Spotify, or Amazon music, please enjoy our newest episodes as we are producing a new episode every week. Amy, first question is, I think for many of us, safaris are a, a once in a lifetime dream uh, travel. So, so tell us about traveling to East Africa for a safari. I'll say that, um, like you, everyone thinks that this is the trip they're going to do one time. And I can tell you very honestly that 96% of people easily, and I've, yes, I've totally made that number up, but it does seem to be real, they come back again. Safari is a place that steals your heart, getting into East Africa, meeting the people, seeing the wildlife in an untamed, completely wild environment is just something that cannot be replicated other places. It is each country, and I think that is also something that's really important to recognize, each country is uniquely different and does offer something different from the country prior. You get in, you get that initial experience, and I have many clients that come in and they say, this is it, I'm going one time, I want to get all of the iconic national parks off my list. There's certain things I'm looking to see. I saw it here. I saw it there. A friend did it. And I can almost tell you, hands down, I speak with the same client the year following doing a totally different trip to a different area of Africa. So it is a place that completely bewitches you and, and steals your heart. And once people go, they want to find a way to get back. That's the truth. <laughs> okay. 
Great. And uh, so I guess one question is East Africa obviously encompasses a, a large area. We structure this to allow a three-generation travel party to visualize a focused vacation for maybe something uh, like a, a region of, of Europe. We might focus on things over, over the course of a week. Given the, the time and the expense of travel, I, I imagine they're going to want to travel for, for more than a week. So knowing that our framework for safari might be different than a framework for Western Europe, why don't you walk us through what you would envision for a great safari vacation for a three-generation party of, of travelers? Absolutely. So there is a lot of different factors that would go into which country you might ultimately travel to. Level of fitness, level of activity, how much safari you really do love, as opposed to perhaps wanting to do some city, maybe some beach aspects. For this particular conversation, we've decided to focus on Kenya as a destination because it offers a great deal of variety. It specializes, I would say, almost truly specializes in multi-generational travel in that very specific safari camps and lodges will have lots of different activities to go to the different levels of activity in any individual party of people. So not only can it be customized for you based on how active you are, but then each camp will then also have a, a variety of activities that you can then individually select from as you're coming along. Um, I really love the idea of doing Kenya. I've done it with my family, just two generations, but I brought my 18-month-old with me, and it was absolutely spectacular. We basically focused on a few regions, and that's what I would suggest you do with safari. So you need to prioritize what are the most important aspects of the trip for you. Is there a specific animal that you want to see? Some people absolutely have to see every giraffe there ever was, or elephants with the longest tusks, or they need to see Kilimanjaro, for example. You need to figure out what are the most important priorities? What are the things that you're not willing to sacrifice on the trip? And then you take those things and you speak to a specialist about it. It can be some of the silliest things you've ever heard. We really love archery. I have to drink goat tea, goat milk tea, I whatever it might be that they've seen somewhere else. And then you can take those interests and pull them into a safari trip. So what I would say is that you at least want to do, I think, a minimum of a two-stop safari trip is what I would call it. So picking two unique regions, if not three, I think three is ideal. And there are very unique and biodiverse regions all throughout Kenya. So you have these very interesting and unique ecosystems that you can focus on based on your preferences. That sounds great. Now talking about that in the areas, where would you recommend us stay like on our first day or coming in? Like how would you break that up into the yeah. two destinations? Explain also like the places that you may put us in. Absolutely. So I would say on arrival from the U.S., there's really only one direct flight from the U.S., and it comes out of JFK. That direct flight is on Kenya Airways, and it lands around 1030 in the morning. So that's really the only flight option where you have the day on arrival to perhaps do something or take it easy or settle in. Essentially, all the other flights, aside from a few others that come in in like mid-afternoon, right after midnight, something like that, typically people are coming in the evening hours. So you arrive that first night, you basically go straight to your lodge, and then you sleep. You have that whole night's sleep. Depending on the person, you might spend a day in Nairobi. Typically, when you arrive, most people, there are a bunch of city center hotels in Nairobi, but most people are, if especially if they're going to spend any time in Nairobi area, they're going out to a suburb called Karen. 
the Karen suburb is quite literally where Karen Blixen's house once was. It's that whole area. If you spend two nights in Nairobi, you can do things like go into Nairobi National Park, which is quite beautiful. And it's right, it, it's quite startling, I think, in, in terms of you have this national park with wild animals, lions and rhinos and whatnot, set against the backdrop of this skyscraper city behind you, which is quite incredible. Then People might do Karen Blixen's Museum, Kazuri Beads. They'll go and do some shopping and souvenir stuff. They'll go to the Elephant Orphanage, Daphne and Sheldrick. Some people adopt elephants and do an evening tour there that's a little bit more private. You can hike in the Agong Hills if you're more active. And there's just lots of little eateries and places to go throughout the area. You go to the Giraffe Center. And there's lots of different options as far as budget. So there's some really basic options of places to stay on up to Giraffe Manor, which is obviously world famous. And you feed the giraffe from your hands at breakfast time in the morning. You have lots of different options of places to go while you're there. That sounds incredible. Okay. Yeah. And so the first thing that comes up is, is typically we, we have that day we call getting our sea legs. We, we try and find some time to kill until we can go to sleep and then hopefully a good night's sleep. And so the two first questions that, that come up are, what would be, you understanding Kenya is, itself is, is very diverse, what would be a good Kenyan meal, What is and what is good Kenyan cuisine? That's a really tough question. I would say most people are not eating local foods, typically. So obviously Kenya was colonized many years ago. So the food has come along. And so what when you're thinking of tra- traditional Kenyan food, I would think more in terms of like tribal food. I would think food like that the Maasai are eating or the Samburu are eating. And uh, a lot of that is it's corn, it's literally goat's milk, it's cow's blood, it's things of that nature that typically people aren't so interested in eating. We're <laughs> so you're excited about eating. You'll find a lot of times is that the vegetables, the beans, the fresh food, even the meats are just absolutely out of this world because everything essentially so much more so than here, certainly in the U.S., is like essentially farm to table. Like farm to table isn't a thing because that's just quite frankly how they dine. People grow everything. Your fruits and vegetables are going to be some of the most incredible flavors that you've ever had. They're going to just burst off your tongue. The meats are all local and fresh. The fish is coming right from the the Indian Ocean. So anything that you have, even if it's more catered towards a Western palate or a European palate, is going to have, I think, so much more flavor. And then as you move through a safari, every camp will want to do some sort of traditional night, but they'll do it on a traditional night with a Western flair, I'll call it. So you'll get something that's a bit bean-based, rice-based, corn-based, but actually it's all these local vegetables that you're very familiar with already as opposed to a real local meal. Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you, this is actually one of the more insightful questions we've <laughs> asked. I, when I started okay. this process, I never thought this would be Good an insightful question. question. But you now the other thing is I, I question I typically ask, we've had a good first night's sleep. We're raring to go the next day. Talk to me about what is a Kenyan breakfast or what, an, what would an American traveler experience for breakfast in Kenya? And then the other question is Kenya a tea or coffee country? Great questions. Again, safari being a unique animal altogether is that they have what they call an American breakfast at a lot of these places. So you get a breakfast that you would be much more familiar with again, but it might be local mango. It's going to be pineapples. It's going to be 
these incredible bananas and they'll have oats and they'll have millet porridge. And so you'll get a lot of local grains and a lot of local porridges for breakfast. You'll get, they'll offer eggs, but they, again, they try to mimic what we're expecting the food to be a little bit more when you're in these hotels and a little bit more when you're in um, the safari lodges. Locals typically, I think locals that are more modern and city bound, they will eat three meals a day and snacks like we're so accustomed to doing. But I do know from some conversations I've had with guys, their guides and whatnot, they're very much more commonly to eat two meals that are really like chapati and beans and corn and whatnot. I think you find that it's going to be, again, uh, much more catered to our preferences for a breakfast meal, but it will be um, abundant. It'll be more food than what to do with is what's typical. And it'll be a lot of fresh fruits, typically in the morning, fresh juices that are hand squeezed, things like that. I would say naturally to the region, East Africa is naturally a coffee region. The coffee beans there are absolutely incredible. The roasting that, that's done there, a lot of places are lots of co- coffee plantations, but also this is a bit from colonization. So then there's also tea plantations and whatnot as well. So truthfully, it's a little bit of both. And I would say also truthfully that you'll probably have some of the best coffee you've had potentially in your life out there as well as tea because it's all again locally sourced locally made. So it's actually absolutely delicious. Now that we've been there for a full day and getting our sea legs back and where I guess our jet lags over what would you have us do on our first big day like our first big attraction in Kenya or Nairobi? If you were in Nairobi you would probably do some of the more basic stuff, just seeing the area. What I would more or less likely have you do is get on a light aircraft flight and head out to your first safari destination. So you would come from wherever your lodge is, you'd go to the local domestic airport, you get on this 12-seater plane and you fly out. So they go to a lot of different areas. And what I like to do, and I'm sure a lot of safari operators think similarly, is what I like to do is like to build your trip in climax for the wildlife expectation or based on your preferences, what is the most important aspect of your trip. So the first destination, for me, I like to make sure that it has a good biodiversity, lots of wildlife to see, but also offers a variety of activity. I'm thinking... For a more active family, I really love the Carissia Hills region, which is up on the plateau. I love a tented camp called Tumarin Tented Camp, and they do walking safaris. So it's a, you can do a multi-night just walking safari and pitch a tent camping with them with local Samburu guides, and they have camels to support the walk. But you can also do just walks out from a luxury camp. So you can then based on being three generations, you can then tailor those walks based on the physical fitness level of each person in the group. Or for example, you have the younger folks that want to go out in the morning and in the evening, perhaps the older individuals in the group would rather just go in the mornings or just in the evenings and kind of rest at I love this camp because it is incredibly personalized. You feel like you've just gone to your best friend's house. It's a place that makes you feel like you belong there and that you've always belonged there. You get to know all the guides on a very personal level. It's like this area called the Lycipia Plateau. So the bugs and insects are very low because the elevation of the plateau itself is quite high. It's nice and cool in the evenings and warm and hot during the day. They have some basic rock climbing that can be done. You can do sundowners overlooking the plains and seeing all the wildlife there. If you're there on the right days, they have a market day. You can go out and go to the local market 
markets and meet with the local people and go through the markets and do some shopping and see what that's like. And then the big applause is getting out and actually doing these walking safaris. You experience a safari in ways that most people bypass. So you see everything from the macro, from the macro to the micro. You're seeing all of it. The big elephants, the elands, the zebra, but also the insects and how they build their nests and the different plant life that they live on. And so it's really an incredible experience. And you're doing it with a local Samburu guide as well. So the guides that they've had with them have been there 10, 15, 20 years, and they know the area like the back of their hand. So it's really exceptional. Okay. And so we're out there in a safari. Talk to me about nights on a safari at a, a camp like this. So with Tumarin, you would do your safaris during the day. They wouldn't really offer a nighttime safari walking-wise because of your safety. But in the camp itself, they'll have a fire pit. You will do you can do what's called a sundowner, so you get a drink. Everybody goes out on a walk. You get a drink. The sun is going down. The wildlife is in the backdrop. That's always amazing, usually with snacks or like a tapas kind of experience. And then you'll come back to camp and you'll have dinner. After dinner and people clean up, you wash, wash up, change your clothes. You might go to the fire and it it tumor in I think is a really special place there's a lot of times where there's wildlife they don't have a lot of predators in the area they do exist but so there's a lot of wildlife that comes in closer to camp and they'll come in closer to camp in the evening so while you're sitting at the fire you won't really see anything necessarily quite close but once the fire goes down once everybody's done catching up what are the amazing things they saw that day you head back to your tent and That evening, as you turn out the lights, you might, as you're getting ready for sleep, you might hear or see some wildlife out in the distance. And so sometimes if you keep the lights down low, you can actually see things that are out there. Zebras that are coming close into camp after everything's gotten quiet, eland, giraffe even that are coming in close to camp. There's just always, these camps are really special because they're not fenced. They're really open all the time. And obviously there's a lot of safety protocols in place, but in theory, you can see wildlife all the time. I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my question. <laughs> yeah, they have night guards that that patrol. All of these camps have night guards that go around all the time and they're in constant communication about what's in camp and what is it doing and where is it. So not to worry there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Okay. Yeah, this sounds spectacular. So it sounds like this is the, you said, probably more the grazing animals more than it is the things that would be more carnivores. Yeah, so they're both there. They are both there, but it's, there's not going to be as dense of a population of predatory animals in in the area. So they do have a lion population and lion pride, but there's not going to be as much around as say, when we get you out to the Maasai Mara, which is like big cat country. It's all the big cats are there, lots of activity. So this area just has a little less. Okay. Especially for a country like Africa with migrations and other things, what would you commend a three-generation party visit? Well, it does. It depends on what you want to see. Kenya, I think, is amazing as far as East African countries go, is that even in the low season, there's still a lot to see. There's still a lot to do. The rains do come, but in smaller spurts. So I would say if you're looking for great migration activity, which would be part of our two or three stop the safari destination itinerary, then you're really, for Kenya specifically, you definitely have to be there, maybe very tail end of July. So August, really August and September, and perhaps early, early October. That's when the migration is going back and forth between 
the Serengeti ecosystem in Tanzania to the Maasai Mara ecosystem, which obviously they're the same ecosystem, back and forth. And they move back and forth in large groups and in smaller groups based on the rains and the nutritional levels in the grasses. So it really does depend how much activity you get based on what's going on with the nutrition in the area. Yeah. So explain to us like what a safari would be like how many days would we stay in one tent or would or we yeah. move on with a jeep or we do we walk or yeah absolutely so the first place i mentioned tumarin is a walking safari but there's other places on the Laikipia plateau for example that are fully vehicle-based safaris that offer different activities as well so camelback safaris horseback safaris things like that you would go to Laikipia plateau maybe for three nights and you would do the region whichever area you really isolated in on you would do the region so that you could see as much diversity as you can while you're there certainly without feeling like you're moving around too much from there if you go from there, you go right out to the Maasai Mara, which you can do, you would do three or four nights out there. So if you did a two-stop safari, I would probably suggest three nights in one location and four nights in another location again. So you don't feel like your safari is really rushed and short. If you're doing a three-stop safari uh, or more, and I've had people do trips that are 30, 40 days long. (laughs) So if you're doing more, it depends on how quick you want to move through it. But I like to do, specifically for Kenya, I like to do three nights, three nights, three nights at a minimum, because almost all the areas in Kenya you have to fly to. So if you're going to take all that time and energy to fly to a location, then you might as well really feel like you're settling in and truly enjoying it. And when you speak to flying between different destinations, I know when conferring with friends of ours that traveled through Audi Travel and had a, a fantastic time, I know yeah. they, they talked about the importance of, of packing light because they were really going into the remote regions and, and there was a premium on, on, on packing. Can you maybe speak about the, insofar as we're traveling between different areas, how people would pack and what type of plane it is? Absolutely. So in, in Kenya and Tanzania, Uganda, all of these areas, you do have to take a light, light aircraft flight. It is a propeller plane. Basically, it seats 12, and the weight limits are obviously really important based on keeping the plane safe in flight. So the weight limits do depend on which airline you have, but they're typically between 15 kilograms and 20 kilograms, which is typically 33 pounds to 44 pounds for your checked luggage and also your hand luggage. So... The reason why, and and for those of you who can't see me, the reason why I did that is because of, I did air quotes around that because there are certain ways to get around it a little bit, but basically what you need to do is you need to make sure that you have a day pack that you take physically on the plane with you and it can have your camera, your snacks, whatever, your water bottle and things of that nature. And then you have a duffel bag that is totally soft-sided. For the most part, it is got to be a specific size and dimension and it can't weigh any more than 33 pounds when you put it together with your hand luggage, which would be your backpack. And that in some cases goes under the plane and in some cases goes inside the plane with you, but in the tail of the plane. So you do end up having to be a little bit more strategic about how you pack because you don't get to bring a roller board with you or a large suitcase with you. And so you are typically thinking about lightweight, quick drying materials and clothing, as opposed to your more luxurious cottons and jeans and things of that nature, bringing it down to two shoes instead of four, that sort of stuff, leaving the makeup at home. (laughs) Understood. Yeah. So again, this first uh, site sounds uh, tremendous. You you mentioned, was it the Masamara? Yeah. As a, a, 
is it very is it even more uh, robust uh, second stop? Yeah. So if you were doing a two-stop safari, I would say, and again, there's lots of other areas too. So there's Ambicelli, where Kilimanjaro is at the base of Ambicelli. There's Lake Nyavasha, there's Savo, there's all these other areas. But if you want two really diverse destinations, I personally tend to really like Kipia Plateau, which is a very diverse ecosystem, mountains, five different species that you can't see anywhere else live here. And you can do a little bit more activity typically in the area. Than you can some of the other places combined with the Maasai Mara is really spectacular. The Maasai Mara has a national reserve run by Kenya, and then it also has concessions and conservancies that essentially border it all the way around. So from the Tanzania border on each side of the national reserve, going over the northern part of the Mara down back to the Tanzania um, border. And the National Reserve area is where the Great Migration, the river, the Mara River is, and it's where people are typically wanting to go for the Great Migration, sit along the river and watch the Great Migration. But you can also do your stay, and what I like to recommend is doing your stay in a concession or a conservancy. Again, the, they have the same wildlife, the same big cats, the same elephants, the same giraffe. The migration will be in the conservancies in some way or another as well from a concession, basically what you're looking at is a lower number of people and vehicles allowed in any given concession. You have to be staying in a concession in order to do wildlife viewing in them. And so you get far less traffic. If you're at a really good sighting, there's not going to be a lot of other cars trying to also see the same thing. And that could be a kill. You could be watching a hunt. You could be watching just a beautiful elephant, but you won't be there with 10 other cars. That being said, you, when you're in the concession, you can come into the Maasai Mara National Reserve and do a full day at the river if you want to and try to catch a river crossing. The reason why people are so excited about river crossings is because of how spectacular and dynamic and chaotic they are. The Great Migration is you know, essentially 2 million animals that are attempting to cross this river at any given point. You might see 100, you might see 200, you might see 50, you might see 100,000, and they might all try to go at the same time across the river. And But what I would say is what most people end up seeing is a big lineup of animals waiting for the first one to be brave enough to go. And so you have to wait it out. And you're waiting it out with a lot of other vehicles who are also waiting it out. So it's nice to have this breakup with a concession. So you come in, you try to see the Great Migration, you try to see this river crossing event. You can do two stops in the Mara if you want to, where you're doing some nights in a concession and some nights in the National Reserve if you really want to dedicate a lot more time to, to the river crossing. But if you're doing a concession, you can leave the crowd behind and go to your much more exclusive, much more isolated area where the only people who are there are people who are staying at a lodge or camp that's in the region. And of course, at a river crossing, these are crocodile infested rivers. So... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Crocodiles, hippos. Yeah. Wildebeest and zebra trying to cross. It's very, it's all very dramatic. <laughs> and exciting. exciting. Yeah. And when they're not trying to cross the rivers, then there's lions and cheetahs and leopards all trying to catch them elsewhere. So it's all very exciting. <laughs> Great. Let's say for our purposes, we wanted to take on a third remote region to frequent. Where would you have us finish up? We could do it a couple of different ways. So depending on the age of everyone in the group and thinking about 
in terms of when you might travel and if COVID is a factor, to be honest, leaving the country and are going to another country. If everyone is over the age of 15 and you wanted something really spectacular, I would send you to Rwanda or Uganda and I would send you gorilla trekking. That's what I would do. Wow. You okay. can get into both regions. Uganda is very seamless with Kenya. Or if you want to keep it really safari based, maybe your group is not as physically active, maybe the difficulty of a train of gorilla trekking would be too much. I would say on the front end of the trip, we could add Amboseli National Park, which has those absolutely incredible views of Kilimanjaro. All those pictures of Kilimanjaro with the elephants in the foreground and this incredible mountain in the background, those are all from Amboseli. The elephant population in Amboseli is absolutely incredible. It's a very different ecosystem that is very reliant on the glacier melt from Kilimanjaro. And so it's also an ecosystem that over time is going to continue, is going to change and may not be the same in years to come when the glacier is essentially gone on Kilimanjaro. So I do think it's a really important ecosystem to explore if you're interested. You also get a chance there to see the elephants that have those really long tusks that go all the way to the ground or longer, that's where they're transiting and traveling through. They go between Amboseli essentially and Savo, which is closer to the beach. Oh, there's so many options, but your last like very easy add-on kind of option, I would say, is heading over to the Kenyan coast on the Indian Ocean. So if you have folks in your group that really like the beach, maybe they want to do some snorkeling or diving, or they want to see the whale sharks, depending on the time of year, getting out to the Kenyan coast would be a really interesting option as well. White sandy beaches, beautiful, pristine water, completely different cultural vibe as well. It's a really beautiful place. I think you've done a very nice job of speaking to some of the how do you accommodate people that operate at different speeds? How do you accommodate the kids? And what are some of the restrictions on kids? What are the restrictions? On, what might be some of the ways where the older generation can maybe go at a slower speed for some of this? So, so thank you. My question is, are there other aspects that you think this is, is really good for kids or might need to be wary of kids? And similarly for adults, are there aspects that would be really attractive for the grandparents and things that you've seen where grandparents may want to stay ahead of some issues? Absolutely. So... I think a lot of it just goes down or goes back to people's physical capabilities. And, and really you're dealing with this just incredible plethora of what people feel comfortable doing and what they're capable of doing. And those conversations are so important to have when you're designing a safari. And it could be as something as simple as, we really love this camp, but actually all of the tents are this arduous walk from the main area, uphill, up rocks, 75,000 steps to get from place to place. And so some of those things might be important as part of the conversation to make sure that you're going to the right place and you're staying at the right accommodation, as well as what the kids might be interested in and certainly their ages. So there are a lot of different camps. And, and another reason why I love Kenya so much, there are a lot of different camps that really cater to a child and a family-oriented trip. They will have activities with uh, their local guides. They'll have basically like scouting or Ascari type activities. They'll teach archery to the kids. They'll take them out on community walks and do a community walk with the children, depending on their age and their interest level, of course. Um, and they'll do just really anything. They'll teach them traditional ways, fire starting even, like in a traditional way of doing that. And I've seen this 
really diverse layering of how this is done and what families are really comfortable with doing. There are areas where you can get really in with the local community and you can just literally quite let your child run and go and play with the local kids. Obviously, again, a pre-COVID situation, but it would be one of those, one of those things where you would say, hopefully, as this, we see the light at the end of the tunnel of this, we see those things starting to pick up again, where you can really engage with local families and whatnot. So the kids, I think, are almost the easiest because they really, really have a family focus in Kenya. And the majority of camps will have some sort of child activity. Some of them, a lot of them will have pools, they'll have massage, they'll have beadwork. So they'll have something to go to that will give the kids extra activities to do. For your older clients, I think what you really need to do is make sure, again, that the physical capabilities are being met. And so do they have anything that you need to be concerned about? Is it really that they can't do a lot of walking, they they need to sit and rest for a while, or are they actually super active and they're going to be bored, you know, to tears sitting in a vehicle all day long, because certainly that happens too. For the most part, I would say safari is really relaxing for a lot of people, because you're not doing the driving, you're not doing the talking, you're not doing the instructing or any of that. You have this incredible guide who's in charge of all of it and ensuring that you're getting to the right places at the right time to get the best wildlife. And you're sitting laid back in a vehicle, again, for the most part, um, taking it all in, having this wildlife come 10 feet off the vehicle and just be right there and then getting a complete lesson in what they're doing and why they're doing it and and their whole biology. I think that it tends to cater to everybody in those terms. For your older clients, I think you, are they somebody who really wants a massage? Are they super into photography? I think some of those things come out later. Do they have a CPAP machine? You need to know the medical requirements and interests. Do they want to sit down and speak with elders of a tribal group? Is that important to them? And those kinds of things, the cultural aspects I find oftentimes tend to be more important for our older clientele than some of our kids. Tremendous. Again, very inspiring. And I think for us, certainly, great, Iceland's a great example. Sometimes we, we pick up a hike where some people can do part of the hike, but not the entire hike, and that tends to be a happy middle ground. So speaking exactly. of medical issues, is there a physician or some type of person that knows medicine a little bit? Yeah, so there is basic, obviously, there's first aid and basic first aid in, in all of the camps, but there's also clinics, there's local clinics dotted throughout the country. And so as in the Maasai Mara or in the Laikipia, wherever you might be, there is going to be a local clinic that can deal with quite a bit of what might be going on. If you do have a more major medical emergency, you would need to be medevac to Nairobi, where they do have a very modern hospital. They essentially are the most modern hospital in the area. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I think she could speak to this, but do you want to ask the, the picky eater question? That's, <laughs> this is a tough question. question, I'll tell you that. We have <laughs> some picky eaters and we have allergies. So what do you do when you have that coming to a safari when there's probably limited food? Yeah. So they will do an exceptional job catering to any kind of dietary needs. So whether it is, I don't like this food, I love this food, or an allergy, or whatever it might be, they, if in a safari setting, you do need to tell your specialist or whomever is planning the trip in advance so that they can add that information and the camp can purchase food based on what they're going to be cooking for you. And they'll meal plan based on what 
they are able to feed you. So for example, I'm vegan. Obviously there's quite a bit of foods that I don't eat. And so they'll make an entire amazing meal for everyone else that's at the table. And it'll be some sort of steak or chicken or who knows what it is. It's this beautiful plate of food. And then I'll have something, they'll, I'll have something completely different. So my food will be maybe in line with some of the side dishes that are going on, but also then I'll have my own main. So it'll be a chickpea fritter, it'll be grilled eggplant, it'll be some sort of fresh vegetable that that's going on. And they do a really great job at that. So they they do really well. And there are some camps, again, that you might select based on your dietary needs. So if you're kosher or gluten-free, and there's some places that are going to be better at it than others. And so depending on where what your situation is, it is important to express that so that you can get fitted into the right camps that are going to be able to meet your needs the best. I think that's good because I know with food allergies with our daughter, we definitely are well ahead of planning on where they can and cannot go. Yeah. Yeah. Another question. So if we were going to go shopping for our souvenirs, what kind of souvenirs would we want to bring back from Africa or Kenya? Wow. Um, From Kenya, I like local traditional artwork. So I like, obviously, the Maasai are really famous for their beadwork, and the colors are really vibrant. Other tribal groups are great with their fabrics. If you're in Nairobi, Kazuri Beads is all handmade and handcrafted, and they do all the jewelry by hand. And so that's a really great option. But basically, I think what you're looking for is you want to purchase as locally as possible, mm-hmm. I think, when you're shopping for souvenirs. I... I think village visits are tricky in terms of souvenir shopping just because a lot of times they're put on tourist villages. So what you're actually really hoping for is much more of a unique experience, a true interaction as much as possible. There are definitely souvenir shops that your guide can direct you to that are going to be more in line. But after that, going right to the source. So going right to the women, making the beautiful beadwork necklace that you have, These he- they'll make these incredible collars, basically, and they'll be made out of leather and their hand-stitched beadwork with these beautiful long beads trailing down in the front. And they can be put up on your wall as art or handmade paintings. They'll do, basically, they'll do beadwork on pretty much everything. So you can get quite literally coffee mugs with beadwork all over them and beaded bowls and all of that. And I think as long as you're getting it from the source, you'll get the spectacular, very vibrant, very colorful piece of work that's um, true to the heritage of the area. That sounds perfect. Exactly something we're looking for when we bring some, you know, Africa back to, with us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think I'm down to my, my last three questions. The question, this is the part of the show my mother-in-law refers to as the do's and donuts. What should... <laughs> Three things that we should do and three things we should not do while we're in Kenya. Three things you should do. I was thinking about this. I was really thinking about this. Like, what are the must-haves while you're there? And I think that in Kenya, I really feel like you should, I don't know if this really works in the category, but I think you should just really put yourself out there. Like 100%. Don't hold back. Don't be reserved. Don't be concerned and just let it be, just be there. And if if you do that, you'll really immerse yourself in the culture. You really hear all the sounds of the wildlife at night. When you're on a drive at night, you can hear like the bullfrogs and the catcalls late in the evening. And if you really allow yourself to be in the moment, you can experience Africa on a whole nother level. And I think that is probably my most important do. Just leave it behind you and do it. Just be there 100%. And I think Africa will touch you in a way that that 
no other place can. And then other do's would be take all the experiences that they will give you. So there's things that I can pre-plan for you and there's things that I can't. And the things that I can't pre-plan for you could be the most amazing thing that you could possibly do. And certainly it could be a off the cuff, hey, this morning, let's go for a walk. Let's go to the village. Let's try this. Let's try that. Hey, do you want to go to this local little eatery down here? And I would say, obviously safety first, but do it. Go and do it. Experience it. And those I tend to find tend to be the most rewarding experiences for all of my travelers when they do them. And then my last big do would be to definitely do a walking safari. So even if you don't go to a place that is like solely a walking safari destination, do some sort of walking safari in your time because you'll, again, you'll experience safari in a very different way. Real quick on a walking safari, how long are you expected to walk for our older generation to know? Because my mother has limitations, but she's very healthy. So she's, are we looking for one mile, 10 miles? Yeah, so it depends. So if you're doing it out of a camp that doesn't solely do walking safaris, then you know, you might go out early in the morning as the sun is rising and it'll be one of those things where you're going out and it'll be like an hour long walk. So how long it actually is might depend on what you're seeing and experiencing really, but you'll get out there, you'll do it for an hour maybe, and then you'll turn around and come back. And then if you're doing a place that's an actual walking safari location, you can definitely do it in terms of catering the walks. Like Tumor, like I mentioned, will cater the walks to your preferences and abilities. So if she's only capable of doing a mile or two miles, whatever it might be, that's what they'll cater it to. And then if everybody else wants to go out and go further, you can do that also. Perfect. Okay. And uh, three do nots or, or three cautionary things you would caution against? Yes. Three do nots. Do not drink the water straight from the tap. <laughs> That's a really, it sounds like a silly one. It sounds like things we should all know, but don't do it. If you're going to get sick, that's probably how. Do be extra careful when you're in bigger cities and areas as far as, as well. So even at a big hotel, a big chain, or at a restaurant, you do want to be a little bit more thoughtful uh, about what you eat and how it's prepared. That would be fruits with peels or things that are fully cooked. How is it being prepared to make sure that, again, you're keeping yourself healthy during the trip? And then I would say, do not, while you're in Kenya, go out for a night on the town. It's not really a place where you do that. There are areas that aren't really that great as far as your safety. And there, it's just not it's just not that kind of place. If you're going to go out in the evenings, you want to go with a guide. You want to make sure that you have somebody and that there's somebody that's speaking the local language for you. Three, three very useful lessons. So two more questions I had, and maybe we've touched upon this, but I'll fill in the blank question. My most memorable experience in Kenya was? Oh, my most memorable experience in Kenya was... I was recently really reminiscing about some time that I spent in a place called Samburu National Reserve that has two big moments that really stand out for me. One, which is a really simple one to explain, which was we stopped for a bush breakfast, a surprise bush breakfast, and we were on this beautiful river. And it, there was a herd of, it must have been 20 elephants that just started coming 
and they just kept coming and coming. And there was all sizes, all shapes, all the way down to babies and helping them get across the matriarchs, helping them get across the river and kind of all of that. And it was completely unexpected. It was not, we were not there necessarily to see kind of wildlife. We were there to be in an area to have this bush breakfast. And that was really spectacular. And then another one that comes to mind is my closest encounter, closest viewing of a leopard. A lot of times leopards are extremely elusive. They tend to be alone. They tend to be solitary and they're really hard to see as far as the big cats are concerned. And we were out in Samburu, same place in an evening drive and the sun was starting to set. We were starting to head towards our sundowners again along the same beautiful river. And all of a sudden there was just this leopard, this beautiful leopard. And she was out on a hunt and I think for the duration of the time that we were with her, she was six to 10 feet off the side of the vehicle. And at one point I have my camera and I'm taking all these pictures of her and waiting for her to, is she going to look at us? Is she going to look at us? And there's this moment where she just makes direct eye contact and I captured it on, on film and it was just really spectacular. I've I've never had a wildlife sighting like that since (laughs) or before, obviously the gorillas, chimpanzees, all of that, but the, in Kenya, definitely that leopard, just piercing look right in your eyes. Also somewhat terrifying. (laughs) Exactly. I can see I'm going to have to get a new camera when we go to Kenya. Yeah. Or rent one. I was going to ask my final question. Again, our guest today is Amy Charnitsky. Amy, thank you so much. This has been a tremendous interview. I know we will definitely be in touch in the near future about setting up a, a, a vacation to <laughs> Kenya. So thank you. Just want to give you one last chance to, to say whatever you wanted to say and promote uh, what would, uh, promote yourself. And, and Absolutely. I think that the way, there's a lot of different ways to do incredible trips these days. And there's a lot of different ways to get your family out there. And what I really love about Oddly Travel and what I do for them is that they really ensure that we know our stuff. And I think that is something that's so important when you're trying to design a trip for multi-generations, because you need somebody that can talk and speak to all the different generations and their needs. And so I think oddly is really special that way is that they'll send you on research trips every single year. You get in-depth training, you get in-depth look at everything that you are talking about and selling, and they really care about the entire user client experience from start to finish. So I do really love the experience here. Yeah. Anecdotally, the friends that we've known that have used Ali Travel to an African safari just had a tremendous experience, both at, at the onset, preparing for it, making sure they knew what they were getting into and they were well prepared for the trip. And then afterwards, uh, just the, the pictures and to hear them talk about the experience. You cannot do better than to travel with Aldi Travel. So thank you so much. It's been a tremendous thank you. interview. Thank you so much. I loved it. That was wonderful, you guys. Thank you so much as well. And uh, have an incredible safari when you go. <laughs> Maybe that's something else to add. It's never too early to start. The camps are really small. They're eight, ten rooms. And so they sell out quickly, the good ones. Anyway, they sell out really quick. And then if you want exactly what you want without compromise you do it early all right well so until next time uh, thank you very much grab the kids don't forget the grandparents thank you all we thank you and appreciate your continued support 